Welcome to the Colonial Hills Podcast, a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church. I'd like to invite you to take your Bible with me this evening, please, and turn to 2 Samuel chapter 19. 2 Samuel chapter 19, and as I do that, I see our ushers are coming by and they have a half sheet that they can distribute to you so you can follow along with an outline more carefully. I always enjoy watching the boys and girls fill in those outline sheets, and I know that some monitor the quality of the message by how accurately I fill in each of those blanks. So uh, if you need one of those outline sheets as they come by this evening, uh, they'll pass those out to you. And we're turning in our Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 19, 2 Samuel chapter 19, and we begin our reading in the 40th verse. 2 Samuel 19, beginning in verse 40. Then the king went on to Gilgal, and Chimham went on with him. And all the people of Judah conducted the king, and also half the people of Israel. And behold, all the men of Israel came to the king and said unto the king, Why have our brethren, the men of Judah, stolen thee away, and have brought the king and his household and all David's men with him over Jordan? And all the men of Judah answered the men of Israel, Because the king is near kin to us. Wherefore then, be ye angry for this matter. Have we eaten at all of the king's cost, or hath he given us any gift? And the men of Israel answered the men of Judah and said, We have ten parts in the king. We have also more right in David than ye. Why then did you despise us, and our advice should not be first had in bringing back our king? And the words of the men of Judah were fiercer than the words of the men of Israel. There happened to be there a man of Belial, whose name was Sheba, the son of Bichri of Benjamite. He blew a trumpet and said, we have no part in David, neither have we inheritance in the son of Jesse, every man to his tents. Verse 4, then said the king to Amasa, assemble me the men of Judah within three days, and be thou here present. And Amasa went to assemble the men of Judah, he tarried longer than the set time which he had appointed him. And David said to Abishai, now shall Sheba the son of Bichri do us more harm than did Absalom. Take thou the Lord's servants and pursue after him, lest he get him fenced cities and escape us. They went out after him Joab's men and the Cherethites and the Pelethites and all the mighty men. They went out of Jerusalem to pursue after Sheba, the son of Bichri. When they were at the great stone, which is in Gibeon, Amasa went before them. Joab's garment that he'd put on was girded unto him, and upon it a girdle with a sword fastened upon his loins and the sheath thereof. And as he went forth, it fell out. Joab said to Amasa, Art thou in health, my brother? And Joab took Amasa by the beard with the right hand to kiss him. But Amasa took no heed to the sword that was in Joab's hand. So he smote him therewith in the fifth rib and shed out his bowels in the ground and struck him, not again, and he died. So Joab and Abishai, his brother, pursued after Sheba, the son of Bichri. And one of Joab's men stood by him and said, He that favoreth Joab, he that's for David, let him go after Joab. Verse 13. And when he was removed out of the highway, all the people went on after Joab to pursue after Sheba, the son of Bichri. He went through all the tribes of Israel unto Abel, to Beth Maka, and all the Beerites, and they that were gathered together, and went also after them. They came and besieged him in Abel at Bethmaca, and they cast up a bank against the city, and it stood in the trench, and all the people that were with Joab battered the wall to throw it down. Then cried a wise woman out of the city, Hear, hear, 
Say, I pray you unto Joab, come near hither, that I may speak with thee. And when he was come near unto her, the woman said, Art thou Joab? And he answered, I am. Then she said unto him, Hear the words of thine handmaid. And he answered, I do hear. Then she spake, saying, They were wont to speak in old times, saying, They shall surely ask counsel at Abel, or Abel. And so they ended the matter. I am one of them that are peaceable and faithful in Israel. Thou seekest to destroy a city and a mother in Israel. Why wilt thou swallow up the inheritance of the Lord? Joab answered and said, Far be it, far be it from me that I should swallow up and destroy. The matter is not so, but a man of Mount Ephraim, Sheba, the son of Bichri by name, hath lifted up his hand against the king, even against David. Deliver him only, and I will depart from the city. And the woman said unto Joab, Behold, his head shall be thrown to thee over the wall. And the woman went unto the people in her wisdom. And they cut off the head of Sheba, the son of Bichri, and cast it to Joab. And he blew a trumpet, and they retired from the city, every man to his tent. And Joab returned to Jerusalem unto the king. Wonderful passage for morning devotions. <laughs> but a passage from God's word given to us that we can learn. So let's ask the Lord to help us to learn from it this evening. Father, I pray that as we look at this leaflet in the life of David tonight, that we would see our own lives in the mirror of your word. For we know that these things were given to us for our instruction upon whom the ends of the earth have fallen. So Lord, help us by the Spirit of God's power to see in this mirror so as to be changed. Lord, see our, that we may see our reflection here and not go away as if it hasn't been exposed. Give us wisdom tonight, Lord, to linger in your word, to feed upon it by your Spirit, that we might be mature and fit for the Master's use. And we'll thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen. Many, no doubt, have heard about the man who was found marooned on an island, picked up alone by the captain of a boat. And as the boat was sailing away, the captain of the boat looked back at the island and said, hey, wait a minute, I see three huts on the island over there. What's with the three huts? And the man who had most recently been rescued said, well, you know, I had to build a house when I moved onto the island, and so I'm a Christian, so I wanted to build a house of worship as well. And the captain of the boat said, well, that's great. So you've got a house and a house of worship, but you've got a third hut. What's, what's the third hut? And the man explained. He said, well, I'm a Baptist. That's the church I attend now, and that's the church I used to attend. <laughs> we tend to get a kick out of being characterized in, thus, in that way as Baptist people. It's often been said that Baptists multiply by division. Sometimes the division is necessary if there's a vision over doctrinal themes or over unethical behavior, and there's no potential of reconciliation, it seems, then such division is necessary, but not always so. In fact, sometimes we have to ask the question, was that division necessary? Jesus, after all, prayed in John chapter 7 and verse 21, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Ephesians 4 and verse 2 says, Endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And from the word endeavor, I understand that keeping the bond of the Spirit in peace is an ongoing effort. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14 reminds us to follow peace with all men. Now as we open our Bibles this evening to 2 Samuel 19, we're discovering a new division rising up between the tribes of Israel. Israel only recently has undergone a coup, and you'll remember what happened to Absalom. 
and that 25,000 soldiers of Israel died. And now again, we find in Israel a tension point tearing at the very fabric of the people that ought to love one another. Their joyous reunion is now becoming a very jarring rebellion. A misunderstanding has formed a wedge between the tribes of Judah and all of Israel. And when we look at the story together, we need to be reminded tonight that behind the problem that's facing David's countrymen was a problem of pride. The Word of God says, only by pride cometh contention. How good it will be when one day we see the Lord face to face, how humbling it will be. No more room for pride. And the tensions and the skirmishes and the separations and the divisions will be no more. But until then, we need to be ever so careful to walk wisely. As we open our Bibles this evening to the passage before us, we see a division between the children of Judah and the children of Israel. We see a division between Joab and Amasa. We see a division between Sheba and the people of Jerusalem. You'll remember in 2 Samuel chapter 19 and verse 18, a ferry boat has been found and David is going to be transported back over to reestablish his kingdom in his home of Jerusalem. We read in verse 40, then the king went on to Gilgal and Chimham went on with him and all the people of Judah conducted him. But here comes the problem. And half of the people of Israel. What's the cause of the problem? Well, pride is going to rear up its head when principle should have been considered. Self-centered ambition on the part of both these factions is going to be evident. There is no selfless service being represented here. There is only selfish service that's being represented. God wants all of us to be instructed in passages like this, to render to Him service that is selfless, not selfish. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 23 and verse 11, He that would be greatest among you, can you finish it with me? Let him be your servant. The Lord wants us to be serving one another. Every Christian needs to be warned of the dangers of serving with selfish motives. And so as we open our Bibles to 2 Samuel 19 and 20, we discover that those who serve with selfish motives will often fall prey to three dangers. The first danger that we find in this text is the danger of division. It's often been said it's amazing how much can be accomplished when no one cares who gets the credit. It's amazing how much can be lost when selfishness becomes the motivation for service. This was a time of national celebration. Absalom and the coup that he had brought against his father has been swept away. David, the rightful king, is coming back. And at this time of national celebration, we find of a skirmish that's breaking out. In verse 42, the men of Judah are heard to say, the king is near of kin to us. <laughs> In verse 43, 10 of the tribes of Israel say, yeah, but we have 10 parts with the king. We have also more right than you do. In verse 43, the men's words of the tribe of Judah were fierce words. And so Sheba ends the discussion. This Benjamite from the same tribe as King Saul, Israel's first king, he ends the discussion in verse 1 
of chapter 20, when he says, we have no part in David, neither have we inheritance with the son of Jesse. Every man to his tents. Let's reassemble ourselves once again for battle. Benjamin Franklin had a wonderful way of wisely seeing and saying what he saw. Benjamin Franklin said, many a lengthy dispute may be abridged thus. It is so, it is not so, it is so, it is not so. And that's what you see here. It is so, it is not so, it is so, it is not so. The coup that Absalom initiated was recently quilled, but a controversy is continuing. The relationship between the tribes of Israel and the people of Judah is melting away in a heated discussion that didn't have to happen. Folks, what an appropriate passage for us this evening. When Stalin took Ukraine, between two and three million Ukrainians died. After taking Ukraine, he flooded Ukraine with Russians. And this evening, there are those who are being asked in the Russian army to attack those who are their own blood. Tragedies arise out of what we would consider to be little skirmishes along the way that need to be swallowed down with pride. And as we look at the passage this evening, we understand that David's subjects have not learned, and they should have learned. The chief counselor in all of Israel, one whose word, the Bible says, was thought of in that day as the word, the very word of God, Ahithophel, died a suicide because he sided with Absalom. Absalom, the beautiful son of King David, hanging by his hair in a tree with darts, daggers that Joab has placed through his heart. 25,000 soldiers have died, and here we are again in a skirmish among those who should be brothers. And as I've said already, I believe this passage is in God's Word in order for us to be instructed. This is not something just for us to read by and say, there's nothing applicable to me. Friend, in every generation, in every circumstance, whether at home, at work, or even in church, we find ourselves, because of our own terrible pride, at issue and at odds, often one with another. How does it happen? This passage gives us the pathology of this division. There was a misunderstanding. A misunderstanding. The northern tribes were first to realize the error of following after Absalom. The northern tribes... Judah, the tribe of David. They'd come to their senses and realized that following after Absalom was a bad thing. And so they began to discuss among themselves how David ought to be brought back to the throne. And the southern tribes were coming along with the whole concept and idea so that there could be unity together. But along the way, when the southern tribes did not have time to assemble to bring back the king and only half of them were present, while all of the tribe of Judah was there, There's a misunderstanding. In truth, these tribes were unified to bring back the king, but the people of the south were embarrassed that they weren't ready for the prestige and the honor of that assembly that would lead the king back. There was a a misunderstanding. And then there was an accusation. The accusation in verse 42 of the children of Judah, we are nearer kin. Therefore, we have more of a part. (laughs) We have more of a part in David than you do, you Southerners. It sounds like a civil war breaking out. And it wasn't that long ago that even here in the United States, there was no united in the states. 
Between the north and the south of the people in Israel, there's a war breaking out, it seems. The northern tribes being upset with the southern tribes, an accusation that foments into anger. If you're looking at the pathology of how this division is developing, there's a misunderstanding, there's an accusation that comes to be anger. Not all the facts have come. And someone forgot that Proverbs 15.1 says, a soft answer turns away wrath. There was no soft answer. Instead, there was an argument. In verse 43, we have ten parts. We have more right in David than you. Why then do you despise us? Somebody said that an argument is something you have with a fool. But be careful to make sure that your opponent is not similarly engaged. Those from the north represented a larger population, but those from the south, the children of Judah, were recognizing that their proximity to David by way of tribal relationship was on their side, and both failed to understand that you can win an argument and lose a friend. And so it is here. There were hurt feelings. There were hurt feelings. Why then did you despise us that our advice should not be first had in bringing back our king? The word despise means to be treated lightly or held in low esteem. And the Bible tells us that the people of Judah, their words were fiercer. In every argument, in every circumstance where division comes, there are flamethrowers of words that wish could be brought back Sadly, having been thrown out into the battle, have pierced many a heart. The psalmist said in Psalm 19 and verse 14, Let the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my, my King and my Redeemer. How we ought to pray that the Lord would put a guard over our, over our mouths. Friend, you should never underestimate the power of words. James chapter 3 and verse 6 reminds us that the tongue is a fire, it's a world of iniquity. It among our members defiles the whole body. It's set on fire. And the course of nature, it's set on fire of hell. Mein Kampf was written by Adolf Hitler. Even a quick, brief scanning of Mein Kampf will help you to realize how terribly racist it was, how terribly illogical it was. And yet, it seemed a whole nation in that era would follow after this one who spoke of his struggle in that diatribe that he wrote. Someone has said, for every word in Mein Kampf, 125 people died. Words make a difference. And finally, in this milieu, there's a separation. Sheba stands up and declares, we no longer have any part in David. We have no inheritance in the sons of Israel. Let's go to our tents. It's back to war. So every man of Israel went up from David and followed Sheba, the son of Bichri, but the men of Judah clave under their king from Jordan even to Jerusalem. Discovering along the way that a brother offended is harder to be won than a city that has great walls. Here's a pattern for nations, a pattern for people, a pattern for churches to be observed. Where there is misunderstanding, there will be accusation. Where there's accusation, there will come anger. Where there comes anger, there will be argument. Where there comes argument, feelings will be hurt, and where there come feelings to be hurt, there will be separation. Can I ask you something this evening, sir, ma'am? Does this sound like your home? Christian, 
Does this sound like the group that you found yourself connecting with in the church? David witnesses this whole thing. The Bible tells us he was there in verse 40. He was with the children of Judah. He doesn't seem to get involved. And one wonders, had David given some counsel along the way, had this whole issue been avoided? But you discover in studying the life of David that the older David gets, the more passive he becomes, and likely his passivity has come because his moral failure has caused him to realize that the hurts and the scars in his home came because of his own conduct. And the hurts and the scars, the sword that had been promised that would come into his home is even now coming into his nation. No words of David really to bring peace in the situation. Oh, friend, be so careful because the sins of moral impurity will tend to be bringing more and more division even in our homes. And so we look at this passage and we ask, what could have been done? But before we see what could and will be done, take your Bibles for just a moment and turn to one of my favorite passages, the 133rd Psalm. The 133rd Psalm. After the Lord had blessed our home with three growing boys, this psalm became a favorite of mine. Psalm 133.1, behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It became a favorite because we came to understand that even as we learned this morning, brothers are not always getting along. But the psalm is so beautifully in this ascension psalm, the 133rd compares unity to something that those who sang this song would understand, and sadly, we probably don't understand so well. The second verse says, here's what unity is like. It's like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down to the skirts of his garments. And right now you're thinking, okay, now I understand. But the children of Israel intuitively would have understood that that precious oil that anointed the high priest was only used on rare occasion when another high priest was being anointed. It was a special anointing oil. Poured down over the head, down over the beard, and the fragrance of that oil would waft throughout the crowd and throughout the assembly. It was a uniquely peculiar fragrance that recognized God's blessing. Unity is like that. Unity is a fragrance. There are churches who are looking to make their mark in the community by large advertising campaigns and discussing their branding, and some such discussions need to happen. But far better than branding and signage is the fragrance of unity. People know when they sense it. When they come into a church and there's unity there, It's a wonderful experience. It's like a fragrance that came down over Aaron's beard. It can't be denied. My wife sometimes boils broccoli. I love broccoli, by the way, contrary to Patch the Pirate. I don't know about you, but I love it. But I can tell what we're having when I walk in the door, right? There's a pungent odor. Sometimes people can walk into a church and the pungent odor will become so immediate that they know what they're having before the message comes. Behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like a fragrance. 
And then he says, it's like the dew of Hermon, like the dew that descends upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. Again, unity is like the dew of Hermon. That helps. Well, it does help when you understand that Mount Hermon is the highest mountain in all of Israel, snow-capped through most of the year. And as the snow melts from Mount Hermon, it forms the rivulets and the waters that become the great Jordan River that feeds the Sea of Galilee and beyond, on even down to the Dead Sea. Without Mount Hermon, without the dew of Mount Hermon, everything in the fields dries up. And so he's saying this, unity is it's fruitful. Where there's unity, there'll be blessings. There'll be the blessings that are only explained by the grace of God. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. What a precious thing unity is. Unity is, is a fragrance that can't be denied. It, it's what advertises the presence of the Lord within a congregation, and it's, it's what makes us fruitful. Pray that God will keep us unified. What a blessing as a congregation to look back over the years and recognize God's goodness in this place. We turn back to the 20th chapter of 2 Samuel, and we discover a second danger along the way. There's a danger here, the danger of division and the danger of distraction. After all, it's impossible to serve King David effectively if they're at odds with one another. No man, Jesus said, can serve two masters. He'll hold to one and despise the other. And a double-minded man is, is unstable in all his ways. These people are at the brink of a national catastrophe. They're at the brink of a civil war. How did it happen? What brought this on? Well, as I look at this passage, I discover that these people are listening to the wrong counsel. Verse 1 identifies a, a man of Belial, not a flattering term. By the name of Sheba, the son of Bichri, a Benjamite from the tribe of King Saul. And yet we read about this person that everyone was willing to follow him. For the Bible says that every man of Israel went up from following after David and followed rather in verse 2, following after Sheba. They were listening to the wrong counsel. They failed to hear the counsel of God's Spirit Instead, were filled with the counsel of Sheba. And they were living then among the wrong companions. This Sheba, the son of Bichri, has now taken away those who would follow after him. Another coup is ensuing. A companionship is developing. And those who should have been a blessing to David are not a blessing to David. They're not a blessing to the kingdom. They're going after the wrong counsel. They're with the wrong crowd. Listening to the wrong counsel. Blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. He doesn't stand in the way of sinners. In his law, there's great delight. Be careful about what counsel you hear and what crowd you hang with. You'll find yourself often in deep weeds by following after modern-day Shebas, these sons of Bichri, this son of Belial. This schism of distraction has come. And the people who are now following after Sheba, confused, no doubt, no longer able to rejoice in the leadership of King David, no longer enjoying the unity that so suddenly has been disrupted, 
no longer enjoying the power of that unity that God would have the kingdom of Israel to enjoy. They're following after the wrong master. You know, we can make a parallel today, and we see it often. When confusion comes and the wrong counsel is heard and the wrong companions are sought after, many people leave the place of service, the place of joy, the place where fruitfully they can serve the Savior, and they wake up in sorrow to realize, I've been following after a modern-day Sheba. There's a danger in this passage that needs to be seen, a danger of division and a danger of distraction, and ultimately the danger of destruction. These chapters are complex. Reading past them quickly leaves us often wondering what exactly happened. So let's summarize it very quickly this evening and learn a valuable spiritual lesson. We know that the people were bringing back the king. We know that a ferry boat had been commissioned for David to ride over. He had recently had a conversation with an elder gentleman by, a, by the name of Barzillai, a Gileadite. Barzillai said, I'd like to come back to Jerusalem with you, but I'm too old. Can you take my family member, Chimim, with you? And so we read that Chimim has come with David. There in verse 40, the king went on to Gilgal, and Chimim went on with him. David and Chimim come to the people of Judah there in verse 40. And by now you understand that the men of Israel are making an accusation. You've stolen away the king. You're having your celebration and we've been frozen out. Before the conversation is over and by the end of the conversation, Sheba, the Benjamite from Saul's tribe, says, We have no part with David. Blow the trumpets to the tents. Let's divide. How does David respond? Not by speaking to the assembly, but knowing what could soon happen. Verse 4 tells us, Then said the king to Amasa, Assemble me the men of Judah within three days. Be thou here present. David steps in. He speaks to Amasa. Now Amasa was once the captain of Absalom's host. Let me say that again. Absalom the king's son who had rejected his father, who had caused a civil war, this Amasa was the captain of Absalom's host. You discover that in 2 Samuel 17 and verse 25. Why would David pick Amasa, who sided with his son in a civil war, to now serve him? David was doing everything he could to try to reassemble and regain the loyalty of his people. When he chooses this Amasa, he's replacing, he's replacing Joab. Joab had been his captain. Why would he replace Joab? Because David had said, when we go after Absalom, I want him coming back alive. And Joab said, uh-uh. He's hanging in the tree, and Joab took three darts, and he ran them through the heart of the king's son. He denied the king's counsel, and David has now replaced Joab with Amasa to be the captain of the host of Israel. He gives him three days, but we read in verse 5, Amasa went to assemble the men of Judah, and he tarried longer than the set time which had been appointed him. It took him longer. Why? Well, let me ask you, if you were a faithful person in Judah, would you want to follow Amasa? Remember, he had been the captain of the host of Absalom. This is not exactly a person that has good favor in Judah. 
And Amasa is late coming back. So David says in verse 6 to Abishai, Now shall Sheba the son of Bichri do us more harm than did Absalom. Take thou my, thy Lord's servants and pursue after him, lest he get into fenced cities and escape us. David actually reaches out to another general and he says, I'm going to give you the task. You follow up. And in verse 7, there went out after him Joab's men, the Cherethites and the Pelethites, and all the mighty men went out of Jerusalem to per- pursue after Sheba, the son of Bichri. And they were at the great stone, which is Gibeon, and Mesa had gone before them. It seems like this great stone is where Amasa was trying to gather together an army, waiting longer than he needed to wait. And now the army is coming, and Joab is in the army that's coming to meet, and they connect with Amasa there. The Bible tells us Joab's garment, he had this sword by his side, and it fell out of its sheath. And Joab said to Amasa as he approached him, verse 9, my brother, Joab took Amasa by the beard with the right hand, which was the custom of the day, to give a kiss of greeting. But Amasa took no heed to the sword that was in Joab's hand, and Joab smote him. As they arrive in this strategic point, Joab so upset about being replaced as the captain of David's host by Amasa, who had fought on the side of Absalom, takes things into his own hand. This is the fourth time that Joab is involved in a murder. He's responsible under the command of King David for the murder of Uriah. He's the one who kills Absalom. He's the one who kills Abner. And now he's killed Amasa. What's going to happen? Joab's men stood with him, verse 11, and said, He that favoreth Joab and he that is for David, let him go after Joab. Joab has rallied the troops round about him once again and the besieging this place called Abel. This place is still in Israel today. We visited there. It's a Druid village. This village of Abel, it's in the northern part of Israel. They've moved all the way north from Jerusalem up to this place that's some 80 miles to 100 miles away. And as the troops descend upon the city, the whole city is shaken until a wise woman, verse 16, cries out, Hear, hear! Say, I pray you unto Joab, come near hither, that I may speak with thee. And when he was come near unto her, the woman said, Art thou Joab? And he answered, I am he. And she said unto him, Hear the words of thine handmaid. And he answered, I do hear. And she spoke, saying, They were wont to speak in old times, saying, They shall surely ask counsel of Abel. And so they ended the matter. I'm one of them that want peace. I'm one of them who is faithful in Israel. Counsel is being provided. In the midst of the armies and the intentions of war, hey, even today, would you pray that God would give wise counselors who perhaps could turn away the destruction that's coming in Eastern Europe? And would you be available to receive wise counsel when you find yourself at odds with family members and friends and even church members? The Bible, after all, reminds us in Proverbs 11 and verse 14, where no counsel is, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there's safety. And ultimately, corruption's going to be put away. It's going to cost Sheba his head. In fact, I read a message in preparation for this service, it was under the title, How Not to Lose Your Head. In the end of this, Sheba's head has been delivered into the hand of Joab. The village of Abel is saved. The people of the north and the people of the south have some challenges to deal with, but a civil war has been averted. Why? 
It was averted because counsel was heeded. Now, there might be somebody in the room this evening who looks back on a skirmish that they've had with a friend, a fellow believer. And maybe someone wisely shared a pathway with you where peace could be enjoyed. Or maybe you didn't even need to hear the counsel of someone who wisely would share it with you. Instead, the Spirit of God through the Word of God has spoken to your heart many times about the matter. This passage is one that tells us of a crisis being averted because corruption was put away. When rebellion comes, there are four rules that always need to be remembered. Regardless of our age, regardless of our circumstance, rebellion rises out of disagreement. Rebellion acts with disloyalty. Rebellion recruits the discontented. It's never, it seems, willing to act alone. Rebellion results in disaster. Somebody has said, blessed is the man who can endure a slight without the rise of blood pressure. May God help us not to serve self. In serving self, we find ourselves dividing, distracted, destroyed. May God help us instead in service for the Savior, know the blessing of delight and devotion and reward. This podcast has been a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church, a church home for all people. If what you've heard has been an encouragement to you, please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. If you'd like to connect with Colonial or find more resources, you can find us online at colonialindy.org. You can also check us out on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope to see you next time on the Colonial Hills Podcast.